You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Sunday, we have a power pack day. We've got the NCC students that are going to be with us. All of them are coming with us. So we've got the chorale that's going to be singing during the service. In the morning, we have Brother Chavis that's going to be delivering the word of the Lord. And we're so excited to be having the Chavises with us. They're good friends, of course, of the Carters and my family. And uh, thankful to have them with us. And uh, they've traveled up here because Sister Chavis is speaking at Chairs Conference, and we just kind of snagged them for our Sunday morning service before they head back. And so we'll be excited to have them with us. And then Sunday night, uh, once again, the NCC students will be doing uh, some songs in the evening, and uh, there will be a couple of students that are going to be preaching the word of the Lord, and we're looking forward to that. Excited. For all of that to come, and of course, there's been many preparations that's been underway for it, and we're just anticipating a great day in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So good to be able to be the one delivering the word of the Lord here tonight. Pastor, he had to travel to Fredericton to pick up the Chavises from the airport as they were coming in, so he was not able to make it back in time. Uh, he had messaged me, and so, um, and uh Anyways, here I am. <laughs> Amen. It's so good to be able to speak the word of the Lord to you here tonight. I don't take it lightly ever. And um, I'm just going to dive right into it here tonight. If you've ever read anything or seen anything about Superman, he's been around for quite a while, you know that his weakness is kryptonite. Uh, kryptonite was little pieces of Superman's home world of Krypton, which had made its way to Earth. And when Superman was anywhere near it, his power was zapped away. And I think that's actually a really good metaphor for some of the things that can zap away our power as followers of Christ. You know, little chunks of the world, if you will, that if we continue to expose ourselves to them, will diminish our power and make otherwise strong believers weak. It can harm our influence as God's weak witnesses in this world. The Lord warns us in John chapter uh, in 1 John about these little chunks of the world. John 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 to 17 it puts it this way it says do not love the world or the things in the world that are in the world. If anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You're going to see how the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride is what brought Samson down, and that's where I'm going to direct our attention here tonight. He is the ultimate Bible superhero. And let me just take a moment here to warn you, I always pass my messages uh, past my wife. She is my filter. And so if there comes anything across this pulp that is unfiltered, I do apologize in advance. I was not able to put it through its proper channels before it was delivered to you. So... <laughs> 
And uh, no, she, I trust her, uh, of course, with um, being able to direct and guide and, and her opinion and things. So I always pass things through uh, her, and, and she's a good sounding board. She's a good listener. But just like Superman and just like us today, there are chunks of the world that robbed, that, that robbed um, him of his supernatural power. They made this strong man weak. And if we're not careful, they will make us weak as well. And so tonight, as we look at the story of Samson, we're going to see the kryptonite that made him weak. Or since it's the story of Samson, maybe we should just call it Samsonite. Because, you know, he had some baggage. Uh, anyways. There is hope, though. That's probably one of the things that would have got slashed. But anyways. There was an antidote to the kryptonite. So we will wrap up tonight talking about what our antidote is against this world. But before we get into anything, I would just want us to pray and ask God to have his will done in this service. God, we are so thankful for your wonderful word that guides us, leads us, directs us. God, we thank you for your presence, God, that, Lord, that leads us through this world. God, and helps us, God, to live in it but not of it, not be of it. And Lord, I pray here today that you would help us to dive into your word, let your word resonate within us. God, and I pray, Jesus, that you would challenge us and change us by your word. In Jesus' name, we give you all praise. Amen. God's people, Israel, was in the seventh cycle of sin, oppression, and deliverance. They had just been going through this cycle over the past number of years. Sin, oppression, and deliverance. And then they'd get back into deliverance, God would save them, and they'd wind back up into sin, and then they'd fall into oppression, and then God would deliver them again. So this was the seventh time it had happened up until this point. And unlike other cycles, the people did not cry out for repentance like they normally did, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But because of God's relentless pursuit of his people, he sent a deliverer anyway. Aren't you so thankful? The Bible says that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. And so even when we didn't recognize that we needed saving, even when we didn't recognize our own, our own state, he knew that we needed him. And God in this story, of course, he knew that they needed to deliver, so he prepared one. Samson was set apart before he was even born. He was called to be a Nazarite, which meant that he was forbidden from doing three things. He couldn't touch a dead body. Who wants to anyways? He couldn't drink alcohol, and he couldn't cut his hair. And in return, God would empower him with supernatural, superhuman strength in order to deliver God's people from the Philistines, their enemies. And so let's see how this all played out. We see in Judges chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. 
Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Just like that. And then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. And it goes on to say in verse 7 that he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. She pleased Samson, and after some days he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on, eating as he went, and he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate, but he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion." Okay, so here you see the first chunk of Samsonite. It's lust. Lust is the attitude that says, I want it even if it's not right for me to have it. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And now Timnah was actually, uh, it was actually a city within Israel. It was only about four miles away from Samson's hometown of Zorah. So you might be wondering what a Philistine girl was doing in the middle of Israel in the first place, but just hold that thought for a moment. Samson sees her, and so he goes to his mom and his dad and says, this is the girl for me, she's the one, get her for me. How romantic. He really knows how to sweep a girl off her feet. I remember the time I went to my parents and said, get her for me. No, I don't think that's how it went. <laughs> Remember that God told Samson's parents that he would be the one to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And so they knew that to deliver a Philistine daughter to Samson was way out of bounds. And so they say to Samson, look, can't you find a nice Jewish girl to settle down with? Why do you have to take a wife from these uncircumcised Philistines? And the important word here isn't Philistine, it's uncircumcised. There were plenty of culturally different marriages God blessed throughout Scripture. Moses married a Midianite woman and a Cushite woman. Boaz married Ruth, a Moabitess, and his mother was Rahab, who was a Canaanite. So their objection wasn't that Samson was interested in someone from another culture, but that she was underneath a different covenant. She was not a follower of the one true God, Yahweh. But Samson wasn't worried about little things like covenants and faithfulness to God, all of the, those little things. But he was driven by his lust, and he says to his parents, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. And that's a key phrase to explain how lust works. Lust replaces what is right in God's eyes with what is right in one's own eyes. Lust says, I want it. Even if it isn't good for me, I want it, even if it belongs to someone else. Let me just take a little time out here for a minute. You might be wondering what the point of the Samson story is. Why is it even in the Bible? Well, it's there because Israel was supposed to see itself in the story of Samson. We are supposed to see ourselves in the story of Samson. Think about it. Israel was what Jacob's name was changed to. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham and Sarah, who had never been able to have children, but miraculously, by promise and miracle, they did. And then Samson's mother had also been barren, just like Sarah. And all these miracles take place. Israel was set apart from all the other people groups in the promised land. 
And through the Nazarite vow, Samson was supposed to be set apart as well. Not just as an Israelite, but also underneath this vow. But just as Samson broke his vows when he chased after these, uh, these women, Israel broke the covenant with Yahweh when they chased after their foreign gods. And now you may start to see through this story, as I just discussed at the very beginning, the cycle that had been repeating itself over and over and over again. We've messed up. We failed. We did things against the Lord. The Lord delivered us into the hand of our enemies because of it. He warned us that he would do that. And so we cry out to him, and he sends a deliverer to save us. And it just keeps on repeating itself. And this was the cycle that they had been in, and Samson seems to be in the exact same spot. And now you may start to see why old Sammy boy only had to go four miles from home to find trouble. Remember how Israel never cried out for deliverance from the Philistines? I mentioned that. Part of that was because they had grown pretty comfortable with Philistine culture. They had been through uh, different assimilations at this point in their history, and it's worth asking whether or not we have done the same thing at one time or another. Have we ever been guilty of losing our relevance because we've tried to be too accommodating to the world? That can go one of several ways. Tim Keller, he's an author of many different Christian books. He points out that for liberal churches, the temptation is to appeal to the world's idolization of personal choice and freedom and the rejection of absolute truth. On the other hand, conservative churches can make an idol over some of the idealized past or the good old days, in other words, or the political party. And by doing so, we lose our distinctiveness in the world. Other churches try to be so appealing that they hardly ever address issues like sin and repentance and God's just and righteous wrath against sin. And instead, every sermon winds up being about some sort of self-help session on how to balance your budget or how to be better parents. And those things aren't wrong. It's just that in order to find ourselves right in God's eyes, we have to focus on following Him. And when we do that, we understand that God is not just merciful and gracious, but he is also holy. And a holy God will only accept worship from holy lives. Samson didn't have to go to Philistia to be seduced by the Philistines because his people were already thoroughly bought into it. They didn't cry out for repentance because they didn't think that they had anything to repent of. Well, Samson's lust isn't just about his appetite Uh, just about his sexual appetite. It's also about his physical appetite. He goes down to Timnah with his mom and dad to negotiate with the girl's family. And on the way, he gets attacked by a lion. Verse 6 says that he tears the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. I don't even know what that means, but apparently young goat tearing was pretty common in those days. And Samson's parents, they come to an agreement with the girl's parents on a bride, um, on 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 a... Uh, I don't want to say a settlement, but what they had agreed upon would be applicable. And they go back to Torah. They go back to Zorah, and then a few days later, Samson goes back to Timnah to get married, and on the way, he sees the carcass of the young lion. And it has apparently been long enough for a swarm of bees to have built a hive in the lion carcass, and there is honey in the hive. And Samson, he scoops some of it out, and he eats it first. Ew right? Second, what was one of the points of the Nazarite vow? Don't touch a dead body, let alone 
eat from its carcass. But again, this is what lust does. Lust, again, it says, I want it. I want it now. I don't care how wrong it is, how dirty it is, who else I have to drag down in order to get what I want. Lust is a kryptonite that won't just destroy you. It will destroy the people that are close to you as well. And so let's just look at another chunk of that here in verse 10. Verse 10, it says that Samson throws a feast for the young men there at Timnah. The Hebrew language lets us know that it's basically a multi-day bachelor party for Samson and his 30 companions. And it's not a dry bachelor party. In the original language, it is referred to as a mista, which is essentially a week-long drink fest. And so this is what he finds himself involved in. And what's the second point of the Nazarite vow? No alcohol. This is the second part. And Samson, he finds himself breaking two out of the three vows so far. And in the middle of this mess, Samson, he suddenly remembers the lion. And he stands up and says, hey, guys, I've got a riddle. And if you can figure it out, I'll give you 30 sets of clothes. But if you can't figure it out before the feast is over, you've got to give me 30 sets of clothes. And they're like, okay, well, let's hear it. And in verse 14, it, Samson, he says, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. But all the groomsmen are stumped. They can't think for the life of them what in the world is the answer to this riddle. And they ponder it for three days. And on the fourth day, they go to the bride-to-be. And they say, if you don't get the answer to this riddle, we'll burn your father's house to the ground. Pretty good with the negotiating, if I do say so myself. And side note, single guys, be careful who you pick as, gro as groomsmen, because apparently they can turn on you. And in verse 16, in a foreshadowing of what will happen later with Delilah, Samson's fiance turns on the waterworks and says, you don't love me, otherwise you would tell me the riddle, you would give me the answer. And she wears Samson down, and he tells her the riddle. He's fine, this is, this is what the answer is. And then she tells the riddle to the Philistine groomsmen. They win the bet, and Samson, who is not known for his beautiful love poetry, says in verse 18, if you have not... If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would have not found out my riddle. Guys, I beg you, if you were getting married, thinking about getting married, dating, or are married, whatever. If there's a girl you think you might be interested in, you are not going to woo her by calling her a heifer, ever. It will not end well for you, and it did not end well for Samson. In a fit of rage, verse 19, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon. And struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had, who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. And throughout Samson's life, we see that he is driven by rage. Every time he lashes out against the Philistines, it's not to bring honor and glory to God. It's to settle a personal score. It's because he's been insulted. And this is what rage does. Rage says, you're going to get it, and I'm going to be the one to give it to you. And several times in these next few verses, we see the Spirit of the Lord coming upon Samson. It says it in chapter uh, 14, verses 6. It says, then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the line in pieces as one tears a young goat. 
And then we see this in, in, uh, chapter, in uh, chapter 14, verse 19. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down the 30 men. And you see it one more time in chapter 15, verse 14, when the Philistines first try to bind him. He breaks the ropes like they were candle wicks, and then he turns around and kills 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. One of the questions we have to wrestle with, excuse the, the pun, in the Samson narrative is why God would keep using someone who was so fundamentally flawed. Why would God allow his spirit to empower someone only to have him turn around and use that empowerment to vent his rage? And why, instead of growing in godliness with every empowerment by the spirit, Samson instead seems to be growing farther apart from God? Here's the thing. The Bible always makes a distinction between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Gifts are for doing. Fruit is for being. Fruit show the maturity in a person. Gifts can be used by whoever is willing. And Paul, he talks about the gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in chapter 14, healing, prophecy, tongues, so forth. And he breaks up that teaching in chapter 13, which is all about love, why does he begin that chapter? It says in uh, verse 1 of chapter 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that as to remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. If you use all these godly gifts but don't have love, you have nothing. If you use the gifts of the Spirit without being developed in the fruit of the Spirit, you can do a lot of harm instead of good. What is the first fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22? Love. It's followed by joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We talked about these in the month of February. Character matters more than ability. Let me repeat that again. Character matters more than ability. It's true in ministry. It's true in politics. And it's true in our personal lives. Look at Psalm 90, uh, 78, verse 72. It says, uh, it says this. The writer of this psalm Asaph, he describes King David as a king who shepherded them, who shepherded them with the integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. Integrity of heart always comes before skillful hands. Samson, he never got that lesson. He demonstrated amazing gifts of the Spirit without ever developing the fruit of the Spirit, and it destroyed him. And uh, when I tell my mother-in-law how strong I am. She usually tells me that smell isn't everything. You can be gifted and talented and still have a stinking rotten attitude. Sitting in church services doesn't make you a saved and sanctified Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. You've got to allow God in to work on all of your problem areas so that when we become more like him, we can act more like him. He develops those fruit of the Spirit within us, those things that make us look more and more like Him each and every day, so that when it comes time for Him to entrust us with the gifts of the Spirit, we're ready. 
We're ready to exemplify him in the world. We are called to be refractors of God's light. We are not the light source, but if, if pure enough, we can reflect his light into the world. Only the clearest mirrors reflect light and image the best. You ever go up to a mirror and it's filthy and you're like trying to scrub it off? just to try to see yourself properly and see what you look like. Sometimes maybe you don't have time, so you just kind of guess. Yeah, I'm sure that's okay. You don't want everyone driving around with a I Love Jesus bumper sticker on their car. It wouldn't bode well for everyone with the way that we act and drive sometimes in traffic. Only the purest Christians reflect God's image in this world the best. Let's keep going. We actually get two for the price of one in the next couple of verses. Two pieces of kryptonite in this section. Look at the last verse of chapter 15, verse 20. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. I think there's a lot between the lines here. You get the sense that maybe Samson um, has kind of settled down, maybe. Maybe there hasn't been a lot that's gone on in these 20 years. 20 years goes by since he killed a thousand men in his rage with the donkey's jawbone. And scripture is silent on anything that happened during those two decades of leadership. The Bible, it doesn't elaborate on any details. We, we don't know, but for whatever reason, in chapter 16, verse 1, the very next chapter, we see that Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went in to her, Contrast this with Timnah, which was there when he went the last time. He was chasing after the wrong thing. Timnah was only four miles away from Samson's hometown of Zor, right in the middle of Israel. But Gaza was in the heart of Philistine territory, about 25 miles away. And if you do the math, you'll figure out that there's about, 20, there's about 56,250 steps in 25 miles, depending upon how you walk. My wife would have more steps than that, I'm sure, because she usually has one and a half for my every one. And when you think about it, Samson had all of those steps, over 56,000, to think about the fact that trotting down the path that he was on was probably not a good idea. At any time, he could have turned back. And it's a reminder that people generally don't ruin their lives all at once. You don't wake up in the morning and say, ah, I think I'm going to ruin my life. Instead, it's always a series of small steps in the wrong direction. Let's look at the two pieces of kryptonite we observe here. The first is entitlement. I deserve it. It's the idea that after a streak of good behavior or a season of nose-to-the-grindstone work, you deserve to cut loose a little. You've been good and obedient and you've you're tempted to let your hair down and live a little. But it's impossible in these moments to, it is possible in these moments to blow your life's testimony in one instance. Samson may have believed that he was entitled to a night of letting his hair down, pun intended. He may have thought that because he was God's chosen servant that he had experienced God's favor from before birth or that he had been faithful for such a long season that he had accumulated some sort of heavenly brownie points to indulge a little. And this is the flip side of workspace religion. 
when we think that we have to do so many good things in order to get on God's good grace. If someone feels like they have to work to earn God's favor in the first place, then you get to the point of thinking, you've earned enough on the balance sheet that you've got a surplus of good works, and so you can get a little wild. But that's not how grace works. Along with entitlement is the kryptonite that we see here of isolation. Have you noticed throughout Judges that the size of the army keeps shrinking? At the beginning of the book of Judges, the early judges of Israel, Othniel and Deborah, they led armies of thousands, thousands upon thousands into battle. The middle of Judges, when we get there, Gideon and Jephthah had armies of hundreds. But when you get to Samson, Samson, well, he's an army of one. And when you're a lone wolf, it is much easier to fall into temptation. And that's why it's so important. Hear me, church. That's why it's so important, and I can't emphasize this enough, to be connected to church, to be accountable to pastor. We need the support. We need the stability. We need the strength and encouragement that you get from the family of God. But Samson didn't have that. And so here he is, far from home, deep in enemy territory, and he falls victim to the Vegas mindset. What happens in Gaza stays in Gaza. It plays right into the way that sin works. No accountability, far away from where you might be recognized. And Samson says, I'm isolated, I can hide. I can go on vacation from my spiritual commitments and my senses all at once. And listen, we may think at times that that could work, but it never works. Because whenever we try to hide from God, we always wind up running right into him. God pursues us. He loves us so much that he will expose what we think is our secret sin in order to call us back to him. And all of this leads us to the final piece of kryptonite and the one that ultimately led to Samson's downfall, which was pride. I can handle it. And if we recap over the story of Samson and Delilah, we'll see over the course of time that Samson let his guard down and didn't realize, or maybe he did, and thought that he could handle it. Every time that Delilah said, Samson, what's the, what's the source of your strength? Where does your strength come from? Where does it lie? And Samson would lie to her each time, and each time he would get away, and she would cry, you don't love me, you don't tell me the truth, why don't you just tell me? And each time he thought he could handle it. Some people treat boundaries like, how, how close can I get to the line of what's appropriate without crossing the line? And we see Samson pushing the limits a little farther each time. First it's bowstrings, then it's ropes. And then in verse 19, it's weave the seven locks of my hair into a loom. See how much closer he gets to the line? Every single time it gets closer to where the source of that strength lies. Every single time it gets closer. And finally, look at verse 17. Samson tells Delilah the truth. It says in verse 17, And he told her all his heart. And he said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If, I, if my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And you know, even after she's tried to kill him three times, he still falls asleep with his head in her lap. How big of an idiot is this guy? But this is how pride works. Pride says, I can handle it. I've handled it before. 
I've always been able to get out of it. And we see this in verse 20. It says, and he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as, as, as at other times. I'll do it just like I did before. And, and I'll, I'll shake myself free. But listen, he did not know that the Lord departed from him. There were so many times that God stuck with him and gave him another chance, gave him another chance. And he allowed Samson to falter and fail using the strength that he had given him, the gifts that he had given him to just fuel his rage instead of bringing honor and glory to God. And it gets to this, and Samson, he finally comes to the end of his rope, and, and he had disobeyed all three Nazarite vows at this point, and the Lord left him. Can I just take one more time out before we wrap this up? I want to suggest to you that the Lord leaving Samson didn't happen only because of the moment his hair was cut. That was just the final, visible, observable thing. Samson had character issues that were crippling him from the moment he is introduced back in chapter 14. And like I said, ruining your life usually happens in a series of small steps. These little decisions that you make here and there along the pathway. It's just that the last step is the one that is visible. And you know the rest of the story. The enemy comes in, takes Samson away, gouges out his eyes, and puts him in prison. And that's what sin does. Sin binds you, and then it blinds you. And finally, it grinds you. And at the end of Samson's life, he repents. He tells God how sorry he is for the mess that he's become. And he asks God to give him strength just, just one more time. And in an incredible set of circumstances, he is placed between two pillars in this auditorium where he's supposed to be some sort of spectator sport for the enemy. And when God grants him his strength, he is able to pull down the entire arena on the enemy. But unfortunately, it costs Samson his life as well. Let me give you some hope tonight as I come to a close. There is an antidote to kryptonite. There is an antidote for the chunks of world that get into our heart. But it takes a willingness to allow God to change us. Instead of having the attitude of, I want it, instead have the attitude of, I want God. God, I want all that you have for me. Cultivate a desire for God. David, he wrote in Psalm 42, verse 1, as the deer pants after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. If we could all stand, and instead of having the attitude of, you're going to get it, have the attitude of God is just. Vengeance and justice are in God's hands. Romans chapter 12, verse 19, the Apostle Paul, he writes and he says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. It's up to God. Leave it in His hands. And instead of having the attitude of, I, I deserve it, I deserve to do this, I've earned it. Understand that if we really got what we deserved, it would be death. We were the object of God's wrath. As sinners saved by grace, we deserve nothing. 
but because of God's amazing grace, we have received everything. And so we are compelled by Scripture to live with the conviction that we have been rescued, not that we are entitled to anything. And instead of having the attitude of, I can hide it, have the attitude, I, I can't keep anything from you, Lord. You know it all. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it tells us, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. And nothing is hidden from the one to whom we must give account. And this is actually good news. Think about secret sin like cancer. When a surgeon goes in, you want the surgeon to find all of it, right? Not leave anything behind. And so he, we want him to purge our hearts, to remove anything that's not of him in there. And instead of having the attitude of, I can handle it. I've been in these situations before. I can get myself out. We need to have the attitude of, I can't handle anything without you, Lord. The starting point for salvation is to admit our utter helplessness before God. And by his sacrifice that he made for us, the penalty that he paid for us on the cross, we realize that that's the only way. And as he speaks through John to write in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, he says, I am he that liveth. We just celebrated this. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. And because he is alive forevermore and is victorious, he gives us the power to live in this world, but not let the world live in us. How many is thankful for the word of God here tonight? Amen. I'm so thankful for the way that it speaks to us here today. It's thousands of years old, and here we have it to hold on to here today to guide us. It's not an outdated book. It's timeless truths that we hold on to that through every generation, just as David said, his truth endures. His truth endureth to all generations. And here we are tonight, able to glorify the God, our God together, give him praise, and allow him to work in our life for the betterment of our good. Amen. Can we just pray together just before we go here tonight? Lord, we're so thankful for the story that you placed in Scripture here for us about Samson. Lord, he had made a number of mistakes. He had messed up, and still you desire to use him, and you continue to try to use him, Lord. Lord, and it wasn't until the end of his life that he finally figured out that he just needed to turn to you, Lord, for direction and instruction. Turn his life over and repent from all the wrong that he had done and ask you to give him power once more. Lord, and I pray here today, Jesus, that you would help us to learn from this story. God, that you desire to use us, Lord, and that you want our good. God, and you want to develop in us the fruit of the Spirit, and you want to use us in the gifts of the Spirit. God, for the betterment of your church, for the betterment of, Lord, the communities around us. And I pray here today that you would use us for your kingdom, for your purpose, for your glory, God, and help us to use anything that you give us not for our own vein, not for our own rage or our own desires, God, but to use it for your kingdom, for your purpose, for your glory. Let your will be done through our lives here today. We give you praise for everything that you've done in us. In Jesus' name. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you so much.
Amen. We will see you uh, Friday night for prayer. Looking forward to that. And also on Sunday again, don't forget we've got an incredible day planned. We want to see you here. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.